Welcome to Grace Community Church. If this is your first time, very glad that you have chosen to worship with us today. Uh, typically, I like to jump fairly quickly into the message, but I got several things to mention just real quickly this morning. First of all, thank you, Forrest, for leading uh, this morning. Forrest and David were in Dallas this week at a worship conference, and and uh, it was a great blessing to them, which will, in turn, as it already has been today, be a great blessing to us. Um, so, thanks, Forrest. Uh, I was told this morning, uh, David, David Weatherington told me that ESV Bibles, a little smaller than this one, slimline Bibles, are on sale at Lifeway through the 24th of this month for $10. And then they've got those ridiculous little ones that ought to be outlawed, ought to be illegal, really, for $5. So, if you're interested, I know a lot of you, ESV is new to a lot of you. Obviously, I think, I think most of the elders would agree with me on this, that it's the best translation, and there are lots of reasons to go into why that's the case. It, and if you want one for Sunday morning, this would be, it's a good time to get it at Lifeway uh, for, for $10. The um, ESV Study Bible, of course, I'm always going to pump and encourage you to get that. Also, not this Tuesday, uh, Election Day, but the following Tuesday, uh, Josh Tate is going to be speaking at Priority Associates in Fuquay. Uh, it would be great if we could have several of us go. Uh, David and, and Sean and I plan to go. We'll be there uh, Tuesday week. It's in Fuquay. It's at Bent Winds Country Club. $10 lunch, really good lunch usually. And on that day, a really good speaker. He's going to share about his mission experiences in Philipp, Philipp, uh, the Philippines. Philippians, I started to say. And and Josh is not in Philippians. He's not that old. His dad, maybe, but uh, not, not, not Josh. So uh, if you're interested in going, please see me, and we'll maybe even get up a whole table. A table of eight people would be great if we could get that, if you can, if you can make that lunch a week from Tuesday. And then also one last couple of things I wanted to say about uh, what's coming up. On, on Wednesday night, the, the day of, of, of prayer and fasting, fasting and prayer. Um, I, because of Team Valley being in town, the, the, the banquet is on Tuesday night. I guess you know Andrew Peterson is going to be there if you want to go, if you still don't have tickets. Do we have any tickets left back here? Yay or nay? Somebody, anybody, do we have tickets? We can get you in if you want to go. May cost you a little more than ten, but you know we can get you in. Um, and then Wednesday there's going to be a luncheon uh, after that, so it's not going to be a good time for me to fast. I'm going to try to do that earlier um, in the week. If 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 a day of fasting and prayer comes up for you, um, and you can't do it on that particular day when the whole body is doing it, try to do it ahead of time. Maybe even afterwards if you can't get to it. But our focus is, is on the budget. And I was just, as, as Bert was talking about this, I just felt led to say, and you know, sometimes I, I wonder when people say, God led me to say this, I, I wonder. But this is so clear, it's from his, from his word. I just want to say, if you're not tithing, please do. N- not for our sake. Look, we have had quite a bit less money come in than we've budgeted. And you know what? We're doing fine. We can do with less. It's not about getting more money so that we can do more things. Except that it is, we ought to be doing the work of the kingdom. Everybody thinks that what's happening on Tuesday is important. No, what we're doing as a church, that's what's important. Now that, that 
may seem like you're crazy. You're just saying, you're just trying to be. No, again, it's just in the word. Look, if you're not tithing, and, and, and it's going to be difficult for you. First of all, I, I, I don't know that I have ever, maybe I have one or two times said, oh, wow, I, I, yeah, I can see that. I don't know that I would ever recommend anybody not to tithe under any circumstances. Because God always meets the need for people who tithe. I've never heard anybody say, you know, we started giving 10% and just ruined us. I mean, we went bankrupt. You know what they say? Every single time, every time, they say, wow, I can't believe, I had no idea how that was going to happen. And I wanted to say all of that because the message is so difficult. It's about sin today. So I wanted to, you know, start with something cheery. Um, well, actually, it is cheery when you, when you give. And, and, and believe it or not, if, if, again, if this is your first time, you may think, oh, boy, here they go talking about money. We don't talk about it all that much. When we talk about it, we hit it hard. But we don't talk about it that much. Jesus did, talked about it all the time. Second coming is the only topic that he spoke more of than, the, than, than giving. What we do with our treasures. Where, where is a person in relationship with the Lord? They used to say, I've heard this said before, and, and how can I disagree? You want to know where a guy is in his relationship with the Lord? One, how does he treat his wife? And two, what does he do with his money? Those two things. Now we're going to t- see about treating your wife this morning in our text. Not in the best way, but, well, ah, that feels good. No, I'm just kidding. It really doesn't. I don't like to, uh, to talk about that. Well, let's move toward our, our text. Let me ask you a question. How would you like to be this morning on Staten Island, New York? Uh, you know, you haven't. Bathed all week, no electricity, spent in the dark, no gas to get to the grocery store. And if you do, the, the shelves are empty, you're, you're, you're smelly, you're, you're exhausted, you're cold, and you're in the most irritable mood you've ever had to endure. It, it's a tough week. I think most of us would want to be there. Well, what about closer to home? I mean, well... Actually, let's, let's move out a little bit first. It, it could be worse than Staten Island. You, you, you could be in West Africa starving to death. You could be in North Korea where every single move you make is scrutinized. You could be in Saudi Arabia, Arabia praying that, that the authorities will not discover that you and your children are Christians because if they do, it's a speedy execution. I mean, life could be a lot worse. Now think about closer to home. You could be a Penn State fan. I mean... It could be pretty bad. That's probably not, probably misplaced. <laughs> Especially when you move to the more serious stuff. I mean, look, life's difficult in all kinds of ways. Finances, health, emotional challenges, automobile accidents, failing grades, even though you have studied hard. It's not that you haven't been diligent, but you just don't get this. And, and, and so life is messed up. I mean, let me ask you, especially those of you who are older, where you are in life right now, is this really where you want it to be? 
I mean, do you, are, are you happy? Not only with where you are in life, but who you are. Are you really all ages? Are you really who you want to be? Or do you find yourself so easily angered? Petty. Pouting. And yet somehow in the midst of all this pain, we are convinced that life is going to be better if our man wins on Tuesday. How can we be so deluded? Look, I have very strong opinion. I'm, I, am, I am watching the news all the time. I mean, I can tell you who's an idiot and who is really, really on top of it, you know. <laughs> Peter Wallace, you know, Peter Wallace was born a little man. He was, uh, he, he, Peter uh, wanted to put up signs. Let's just say Bob Evans were running for president, you know. Peter wanted to put up a sign, Bob Evans is our only hope, you know. And his parents are saying, now, now, Peter, this is not exactly so. So I asked Bert, you know, recently after the debates, what did Peter think about the debates? And he said, oh, he's just sick of it. He said, I'm just sick of it all. <laughs> I'm tired of it. I want it to be done. So do I. I wish it were done last week, but my goodness, I, you know, so, and, 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 and I can't, you know, I can make all the arguments about why it's going to be good. But look, as I, 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 again, more cheeriness. We're done. This empire is done. It's just a matter of time. Every empire, look at history. It, we're not going to make it. We're going to turn it around. Really? With a Mormon? We're going to turn it around? I, look, I'm, 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 I'm voting for him. I, since I've said it that much, I'm for, I'm for Romney. I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just saying, if you've got any sense at all. No, 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 no. But really, really, we change what we believe about the Bible because the guy we're voting for we think he's a good man. Look, the sin that we're going to talk about today needs to be dealt with, and it can only be dealt with, with by Jesus and only if Jesus is God. Not created, not made by the Father, but the Son. Eternal, co-eternal, co-existent, with the Father. Where does all of this pain and this wild propensity to delusional hope in the world come from? Now, don't read more into the statement. In fact, all that I've said here just recently, especially if you're young and you have this desire to change the world. And in fact, you, and not just young, but the old amongst us, look, we're called to be light in the world. But about 100, 100 years ago, people were convinced that the kingdom of God was upon us. And then there was the great war. You remember that? The war to end all wars. It, it happened 20 years before the Second World War, where 50 million people died at the hands of some of the most despicable tyrants that ever lived who thought that they had reached the pinnacle of what humanity is supposed to be. See, the communist experiment, which will come around again, 
The communist experiment was supposed to be the exaltation of man. It's where it got us. And, and so we hope and we're disappointed. And against all evidence to the contrary, we continue to hope. But when we follow Jesus, we do make the world a better place. And by the way, we're just gonna, I'm just going to have to stop and start communion here in just a minute before I get off the, you know, the introduction. But, but look, when a nation, God has determined this is the best way to live. That's, that's what the tithing thing is about. It's what, he's, when he says, this is the way that I want you to live, anybody who lives that way, even unbelievers, benefit at, from their time on the earth by living that way. That's why a nation that follows righteousness is better off than one that doesn't. And it's why we are in trouble when we call evil good and good evil. Have we gotten to that place? That's why we're done. And it's not going to change. Last week, in about five minutes, Sean said more about God's intention for marriage than I think I've heard in any 20 or 30 otherwise, maybe even an hour or two. If you, had, if you didn't hear the sermon, you need to go back and hear it. Look, I, I think about these debates. I've never been this political. I don't know this guy. You know... Look, if this is my last Sunday here, it's been great being here. Uh, <laughs> just want you to know. And look, I, I know, I know before I even get into the message, which oddly enough has some incredible hope sown into these seeds of this, 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 this field of despair. But when, when people are tripped up in questions and they make ridiculous statements... Statements about abortion, statements they don't mean to make, things that they're not trying to say. When is someone going to say, when is the moderator going to say, I would like to ask both candidates, do you consider abortion the taking of an innocent life? And if so, how is it not murder? Now, I, I really debated whether to say that this morning, concluded that I would not, and now I've said it. But here's the reason I said, here's the reason I debated, debate, not pun, no pun intended. Uh, here's the reason I wanted, I was careful not to say it, because I know that some of you have been deeply affected by abortion. Uh, some of you no people, some of you may have had abortions, and oh my goodness, I in no way do I want to add to your pain. But this, this is where we are when we refuse to talk, to say what, what God says is truth, to, to, to refuse to say that this is the truth in order to keep from hurting someone's feelings. I mean, if I talked about the sin of stealing this morning, you know, are you going to say, hey, look, I have a friend who embezzled $135,000 and that made him feel really bad. No, we have to say what is right and what is wrong. And we are all capable of doing the worst of sins. But when we refuse to say this is wrong, as Sean said last week, homosexuality in Scripture is condemned. And in fact, it is given a special place 
in Scripture. And then it also is also put right alongside of all the other sins like pride and backbiting and stuff like that. And we cannot as a society afford to say, to, to just be quiet, to be silent and not say what sin is and expect that things are going to go well for us. Now, as Bert said this morning, look, it just, it, it's, it's regardless of who's in there, we need to respect. Wow, have you ever seen so much respect in a, in a race, in a presidential race, you know, that the candidates have for one another? Um, and that we have, look, honest to goodness, I, some of you, I, I, I love you, I, 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 I watch Fox News, but my goodness, what is wrong with us? On this side, those of us who are Christians, we have confused allegiance to a party and allegiance to God. And God says that we are to honor those who are in authority. Even if they call good evil and evil good, do you think the Roman Empire was worse than the last four years? I would say so. And Paul did not allow anyone to speak evil of the government without consequence. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm just going to lie down and take a nap if you don't mind. Um, this morning, we're going to look at the introduction of sin into the world. And its destructive force in our lives. And thankfully, there is goodness at the end of this story. And a goodness that is beyond our wildest imagination. We, 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 we don't really know evil, most of us. Some of you know evil in, in horrific ways. Privately, you've been forced to face evil in Absolutely horrific ways. But most of us don't know evil like they do in other places of the world. And none of us can imagine the good that comes for those who are found in Jesus. Uh, right now, we are in a world that is devastated by sin. And we call that original sin. Let's, let's commit our time to the Lord and then we're going to work our way through the first nine verses of Genesis 3. Had intended to make all 24, but, you know, that's how it goes. Father, <clears throat> this morning, um, having already had to confront some of the things that are the most precious to us, the deepest affections and concerns and as we continue on to confront some of the darkest places in our souls, then we pray that we would be honest with ourselves. We pray that, that, that our hearts would be open to the truth of your word and that we might find great relief and release in at least accepting what you say and being honest with who we are. That's the place where we have to begin if we're going to be right with you. So open our hearts and fill them in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made.
He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, Somebody answer this question, where did this guy come from? Where did this creature come from? Where did this serpent come from? Now, we know it's Satan. Satan using this creature, this serpent, to get at man. But what if you're reading this for the first time? Remember, the first people to hear this were the Israelites that had come out of Egypt. They... um, they maybe had heard stories of, you know, creation and, and their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, they probably knew something, but maybe not so much about this creation story. And when they're reading it, I wonder if they're hearing it, I wonder if they're saying, hey, wait a minute, where does this guy come from? It is amazing how much truth, how much important information is packed into this one small chapter. It sets the foundation for everything that is going to occur from here forward. And, and it starts with Satan immediately on the scene. Was the serpent a four-legged creature before the fall? Not likely, but, but who knows? We don't, we don't know. Uh, at any rate, the serpent was a, was a shrewd creature, and he was under Satan's control at this point. And so he asked Eve, did, did, did God actually say that you can't have fruit from any of the trees. He's put you in this beautiful garden and said no. Now, because this is a good time to say this. Really, it's true about especially the Old Testament because so much, there's so much narrative in the Old Testament. But because there are so few words surrounding Uh, this story, we need to be careful not to read too much into the story. At the same time, because there are so few words, we need to not miss anything that God says, including that which lies behind the implications that are behind the words. Satan begins by both questioning and adding to God's word. One of his favorite tactics against Humans, even those who are in covenant relationship with God. Has he caused you to question the word lately? Well, well, he does that. He loves to do that. Really, Eve? Come on, look around you. And you can't eat anything. So maybe Eve's a little bit confused and she says, no, 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 don't get, don't get it wrong. We can eat from all of these trees except for that one. What was that tree? What was the one tree? The knowledge of the good, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, then she said, we're not even allowed to touch it, because if we do, we'll die. Eve, um, again, because this is what God has recorded, then we have to say, well, what's happening here? Eve left out some of what God said, and then she added to what God said. I mean, she said that God said we can't even touch it, But she left out the part that we would surely die if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, of course, this this instruction came from Adam. And who knows? Maybe Adam, Adam was the one who was given the instruction, and I'm sure he passed it on to Eve. And maybe he said something like, look, we can't eat from that tree. It's best not to even touch it. You know, it could have happened like that. And then Eve tells Satan, no, no, we can't even touch it or else 
will die. Then, verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. He added the word she left out. She, he put it back in there. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing <coughs> good and evil. In the Hebrew, Satan, the, the word, the, the verse starts with not. And, and, and you can almost hear Satan saying, no, 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 no. Oh, no, my poor child. No, you've misunderstood. That's, that's not what God meant. You're, you're not going to die. Actually, when you, when you think about it, maybe that's how God got so smart. He just doesn't want you on his level. Now, you'll recall that, that this was Satan's sin, pride, warning to be like God. Well, at least we know that if, as we think, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, two passages refer to Satan. They're talking about the kings of, king of Babylon, the king of Tyre. But it's not very difficult to read Satan into that text, especially in Ezekiel 28, the king of Tyre is placed in the, in the Garden of Eden. And we know he wasn't. The king of Tyre wasn't there. So, Satan, according to those passages, became vain and he sought to rise to God's level. I will be like the Most High. And he tempts Eve with the same desire, lying to her about the consequences of her, her, her rebellion towards God. He's just saying, no, no, no. <coughs> God just doesn't want you to be like him. That's, you're not going to die? Come on. What is wrong with... You hear those kind of arguments, don't you? People telling you all the time, no, 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 no. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be so antiquated. Don't be so old school. In this exchange, Satan is casting doubt on God's goodness. At least that's what he's trying to do. God is mean. I mean, he thinks he's the only thing that matters. Go ahead and eat. There's no way it's going to hurt you, and you have no idea. It could be wonderful beyond your wildest imagination. Go ahead and eat. Now, as we will see in a few minutes, Adam was standing there the whole time taking this in. Now, this is another one of those things. Look, if I'm, this just may as well go ahead and get it all out this day. You may as, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be upset with me, you may as well have a list. You may not like this. New Testament tells us very clearly, and we try to tiptoe around it and work around it, Eve was deceived, Adam was not. Some people speculate that Adam was brilliant, a brilliant man. His mind untainted with sin, he exercised his mind with the naming of the animals. Just imagine what that would be like, naming all the animals, all the animals. So Adam was aware, even though God had made this one restriction regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he was aware that God had graciously and splendidly given them from all everything else in the garden, including the tree of life. They had not felt compelled to sample the tree of life to this point, but they were given so many wonderful, beautiful things. One 
restriction. Satan wanted Eve to miss the big picture. And that's what he does, isn't he? He causes us to focus on the right here and now. When Satan said to Eve, what he said to Eve was partly true and totally false. That's what he does to us all the time. Partly true, totally false. God had simply said, do not eat of this tree. Satan attempted to make her see the benefits of eating this forbidden fruit, and Eve took the bait. Though surely Adam saw in the tree, as Derek Kidner states, the alternative to discipleship. Discipleship's hard. Following God is not easy. It was easier for Adam before the fall than it is for us. But surely he said, you know, this is another way of living. He saw an alternative to discipleship to be self-made, resting one's knowledge, satisfactions, and values from the created world in defiance of the Creator. And ultimately, isn't that what it almost always boils down to? We want to be God. And so we just live like we want to. Satan was quite effective with his tact. Look at what happened, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. A lot of sin is that way, isn't it? Delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves loincloths. Adam was right there. It's very possible. I've heard people say this. I've always sort of rejected it. But as I was looking at it this week. It just really makes sense. I mean there's a decent possibility. Adam is standing there thinking. Wow, this is pretty interesting. He's processing it lightning fast. And when Eve goes to take of the fruit, very likely Adam's saying, well, I'm just going to see what happens. You know? If God kills her, surely he'll make me another one. You know? Don't you think that's a possibility? Man, that's... uh, That's... So if that's the case, what's the first sin? You know, where was the sin? Well, Scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, The whole thing is an act of rebellion. And when Adam ate of the fruit, that was, you know, that was the the turning point. But man, just just think about how many men do that too. I need another one, God. I'm tired of this one. You know, we started off those first two weeks in Genesis talking about patterns that were established in the beginning that go to this day. We could have kept doing that all along. It would have been so easy to just one pattern after another. Things that we see in the first three chapters of Genesis happen over and over and over and over in the world. When Adam ate of the fruit, not only was he condemned, so was the entire universe and so were all of his descendants, which includes all of us. 
this act and especially its consequences have, have, have come to be known as original sin. And those words are, are, are not in Scripture, but we use them to identify the doctrine much like we use the word trinity to attempt to describe our God who is one essence, three persons. Three persons, not three beings. Three persons. Three beings would be three gods. So we use this word trinity to help us to get our minds around who God is and how, how he describes himself, but he doesn't do it as, you know, as orderly as we would like. So we use it, and I don't mean that negatively. I just mean that it helps us if we bring the doctrine in this way. And that's the same for original sin. So what is this idea of original sin? Uh, the sin itself in Adam's sin was rebellion toward God. But the doctrine of original sin deals more with the effects of sin than the sin itself. Augustine, uh, who was the 4th and 5th century uh, theologian, and by the way, I've, I know I've said this before, but easily, outside of the writers of Scripture, Augustine was the most important theologian in church history. Um, theologians diverge after Augustine because the Catholics love what he said about the church and, and, and Protestants love what he said about salvation by faith, through justification by, by faith in Jesus and in his death on the cross. Um, but Augustine was the first one to tackle this doctrine at a serious level. And he said, original sin is the cause of all evil and pain in the world today. Michael Horton, a contemporary theologian, says the guilt and corruption, it's original sin, is the guilt and corruption brought on the human race as a result of Adam's sin. So when people talk about original sin, we don't think, oh yeah, that first sin. No, it's, it's the idea that Adam's sin corrupted everything. Um, Wayne Grudem says maybe original guilt is more or transferred guilt is a better idea than using the word word original sin. It can be kind of confusing. But it's it's, it's the answer. This this not only defines the corruption that is brought on the human race as a result of Adam's sin, but but once again, I'm going to jump into one of those places that I just decided at the last minute. Yeah, go ahead and talk about it. Original sin is the answer to the question, how can a loving God allow this to happen? There is evil and suffering in the world. How can a good and loving God do this? Once again, a lot of people don't want to hear the answer. We're corrupted by Adam's sin. Because what does that do? It, it sort of destroys the hope of, of the goodness of man. I mean, for, for, for at least a century in, 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 a developed, in the developed world, we've, all, we've thought if we can just educate men, if we can just educate men and women, we can cure this problem of evil. We can't. And listen, when somebody says, how could a loving God allow this to happen? Over a hundred people dead now, and this is again this is this is just nothing compared to what people all over the world face what we 're going through right now. How can he cause it to, how can he allow it to happen i don 't believe my god wouldn 't do that well, original sin is the answer, and I just want somebody to say it 's man 's sin that is a result that causes i mean the reason for all of this evil that happens, and it 's not that it it it, it 
it excuses anybody or it, it mitigates the pain and suffering. But it is an answer. Why? When people say, how could God allow this? You know, my response is as lovingly as I can say this. I say, would you really want to serve a God who is incapable of stopping that? I don't think so. God is God. But Adam's sin brought about enormous destruction. Speak the truth in love, but find a way to express the truth. Dealing with our sin is the only way that we can hope to stand in God's presence. And remember, this is not about fairness. It's about reality. Because we want to say, that's not fair. It's not fair that these people have to suffer like they do. Or I have had to suffer like I have. And when you speak truth to someone, if you speak it in love, remember, it's not going to always be that moment when they say, oh, yeah, I'm so glad you told me that because that, that answers all my questions. They may be angry with you. And five years later, what you said never left their minds, never left their emotional dealing with life and they finally say okay God I accept this both of these fine theologians Augustine and Michael Horton that's his name base their definitions on the Apostle Paul's teaching particularly in Romans 5 there are several verses in this chapter that speak to Adam's sin but verse 12 will suffice to help us understand what happened when Adam ate the fruit. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. Now, this is one of those classic places where, you know, I ask the question, and the answer is yes. Are we condemned because of Adam's sin or God's or our sin? The answer is yes, but this is you need to understand this. Adam's sin is more significant than our own. We are condemned because of Adam's sin. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. The moment we are conceived, we're guilty. Is that fair? Nope. Not, not, not in the way that we think of fairness. Don't you just wish you had to stand on your own merit when you stand before the Lord? Not me, baby. I don't, I mean, you know, look, if it ain't fair to be connected to Adam, it's not fair to be connected with Jesus. We'll talk about that next week. Um, Adam, remember, was king over God's creation. God was the king, but Adam was the regent. He was, he, he, Adam was king over, for all practical purposes, over the earth, over creation. And as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. So go the subjects. When the king does something foolish, everybody suffers As a result, the condemnation of death was upon us when we were born, according to Romans 5. John 3, Jesus said, if you don't, if you believe you're not condemned, you believe in me, you're not condemned. Actually, probably John was speaking at this point. He says, the one who believes is not condemned. The one who does not believe is condemned already. So we're condemned because of Adam's sin, but Romans, the first three chapters of Romans make it clear that we have all sinned and, and, and come short of God's glory. Even so, Adam and Eve's sin ruined us, and it ruined all creation. Now, it seems from our text that Adam and Eve knew their fate the moment 
that Adam ate the fruit in rebellion to God's command. Their eyes were open and innocence was lost. They tried to cover their nakedness that the sin had exposed. They were trying to adjust to God's design for creation that had gone terribly wrong. And we do that all of our lives. We're constantly having to deal with the effects of Adam's sin. They had not been struck dead, but they were, you might say, dead man and dead woman walking, and they knew it. It's amazing when you think about it that God didn't wipe out these rebels and start over. You ever felt that way? Why doesn't God just kill me? Why doesn't he just kill me? Because of what I've done. I, I, am, I am surely the most wicked person that has ever walked. You know, this is why it is important for us as believers to deal with God according to his grace, not according to the law. Because all of us are worthy of eternal condemnation. But we're told in Romans 8, right after this miserable failure of Romans 7 as a believer, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you walk around feeling guilty all the time for your sin or some sin that you committed 20, 30 years ago, if you don't allow God's grace to overflow you and to just and, and, and to bathe in His grace, you will eventually become numb when we serve when we live out of fear and it doesn't happen like we thought it would or it does either we become fatalistic if life goes really badly or we become numb and say well nothing's happened yet i may as well just go on and i'm tired of feeling guilty i'm just going to go on and live the way i want to live we have to live in god's grace not under the law Back to the garden. All that God had created, which had been deemed good, was now tainted. It was ruined, in fact. We can never hold God responsible for Adam and Eve's sin, but it didn't surprise him. It didn't take him by surprise. What he did, though, was the instant that they sinned, he immediately set in motion his plan for their redemption. Since we are condemned along with Adam and Eve, apart from God's intervention, we need provision for us as well. You, you remember the gospel cycle, don't you? Creation, fall, redemption, the promise of restoration. It's all here in Genesis 3. The, the, the promise of restoration is implied rather than specifically stated. We're, we're just looking at the first half today. We'll look at the redemption next week. And, and the promise of ultimate restoration uh, that is inherent even in, in Genesis 3.15. Um, Although I had planned this morning to go through all of Genesis 3, it was naive, especially with communion on the schedule. I wanted to just focus entirely on Genesis 3.15 next week. But you know what? It strikes me that if we don't deal with this part about sin, we miss everything else. We interpret everything else wrongly. If we don't acknowledge the impact and the effect of Adam's sin on us and then acknowledge and deal with our own sin. Uh, we're going to pick up this important truth next week. I, I want to first see what happens in these next two verses, then we'll read the rest of the verses. Actually, we will not read them uh, before we come to the Lord's table because of the time. Um, 
verses 8 and 9, they were trying to hurt, hide from God. Adam and Eve heard him walking in the garden. What does that mean? Not sure. Whether it, it could have been Jesus, you know, it, it could have been they heard him and a, a, the Spirit spoke to him. Doesn't We don't know. They knew they were in trouble and perhaps they thought that God would kill them right on the spot. Instead, God asked the question that mercifully allowed them to begin the process of, of being brought back to God. Where are you? This question was not for God's benefit. He asked this so that they would acknowledge where they were. Now, they didn't. I mean, if you're looking for Adam and Eve as a role model for how to respond, you know, when God calls you on your sin, this is not the place. But it helps to remember that this was the very first sin, and it also helps to remember that this is how we often do. We're trying to excuse, we're blaming, you know, we're doing anything but acknowledging I sinned. They were afraid of God, and God dealt with them graciously and mercifully. So this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, here's the question that God asked of you. Where are you? Where are you? If you are not resting in Jesus' sacrifice in your behalf, then you're in you're in a bad place. You're 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 living under the effects of original sin. You're living as a consequence of, of the sin that Adam and Eve committed on that day. Uh, by the way, again, look at the patterns. Eve was called to be a helper to Adam. She ruined him. Adam was called to protect his wife. He ruined her. They both thought more highly of themselves than they thought of one another. And certainly more than they thought of God. It's patterns over and over and over. And our only hope is that God provides for us. Just like he did for Adam and Eve when he when he killed the animal and, and, and brought the skins and covered them. Just like he did when he said, one day the woman's seed is going to defeat you. One day, essentially, everything will be restored to where it was. Well, let's pray. And as I pray, I'll ask the elders if they will come forward to come forward. Have you ever turned to the back of the book to see how it ended before you, you know, got there in sequence? You know, maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's against what we want to do. We want the surprise at the end. But, but don't we entertain ourselves with happy endings? Don't we know going to the movies that we're going to leave there feeling good? Don't we go back because we know how it's going to end. It keeps us, keeps us going back for more. Um, and we've been talking about patterns also today. We've looked at the beginning of what we know as the 66 books. I think it therefore appropriate to uh, look maybe at the end in, 
in fact, the very last chapter of those 66 books in Revelation 22. Personally, I'm in a place where I need to turn to the back of the book and to be reminded of how it ends, uh, to, to go in that hope, to be reminded that, yes, it got really messed up, and yes, I would have done the same thing had I been there in the garden, and yes, I've messed up again this week, and yes, and yes, I'm a failure, and yes, I can't get it right. But praise God that he gave us the entire word that we can turn to the back. So we do that today, and I leave you with this hope, because it's in this hope that we can say, yes, I've done it again, I messed up again. But then we immediately get back up and say, so what? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is covering me today. He's covering us today. And he's asking us to do this right here now, to focus on the hope that lies in him. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, through the middle of the street, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They, that's, that's us, y'all, who call on the name of Christ. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then later in verse 14. So what does that mean for us now? Here's what it means. Blessed are are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. The tree of life is still for us, though it's cut, for, cut off from us now. We gain access back to it by daily washing our robes, following after Christ, washing our robes in him. Let's go this week, not just dipping, but immersing our robes in him. Amen.